0: This is Dolio, an original thriller fiction podcast presented in serialized format, a chapter at a time, written by Jared Canton, narrated by Joshua Canton, a Steady Chaos production. Previously on Dolio... Kinsley broke into the room not a moment too soon. Her smile disarmed Ross. At least it appeared that way for a moment. I'm sorry, he's a fascinating guy, Ross chuckled. If you say so, Kinsley said. May I ask you a question, he turned to her. Forgive me if this is the wrong setting. Please, she granted permission. What were you doing at Mr. Daniel's home after 10 p.m. last night? I can't discuss the details of it, but with Mr. Daniel's consent, I can discuss it in generalities. She turned towards me. I had no idea what she intended to tell him, but knew if she wasn't still on my side. I had no chance, so I figured I'd let her talk and get it over with. Feel free, I said. We've become rather close, and our schedules are difficult to line up. I was planning on having Mr. Daniels sign a release that would allow me to retrieve his medical records from previous caregivers. I am including him in a study for a report that I'm currently writing. He nodded. What kind of study? Ross asked. I have a genetic disorder, I said. What kind of disorder? Ross persisted. He has a rare genetic disorder that relatively few Americans have. In most cases, the disorder causes severe joint damage and physical maladies in early childhood. A good percentage develop mental deficiencies and lose their ability to walk. I admired her so. She was so brilliant. Without ever naming the condition or the benefits it had afforded me, she managed to create plausible deniability that even I could perform the physical task that Dolio demanded. I presume this was her intention, and the way she carried herself as she said it was masterful. Has this disorder affected him in the same way? I would have stopped the line of questioning, in fact legally I could have at any time, but I needed her to continue. I had made him the subject of the study because, upon initial examination, it appeared that Mr. Daniels was in fact free of several of the maladies that others his age with his condition had experienced. What do you mean, upon initial examination? Ross asked. Do you mind? She turned to me again. I shook my head. She slapped an X-ray up against the wall. What appeared to be my spine glowed brightly against the black outline of the image. Here and here. She pointed at two dark creases in the bone. Those are fractures of two vertebrates in Mr. Daniel's upper back. Now, we don't think he suffered these last night. In fact, everything we discovered leads us to believe that they have been in existence for months, maybe even a year plus. As she said the words, I tried to break the code. Tried to decipher if that was in fact my x-ray, if I did in fact have a broken back, or if she was spinning an extravagant tail. With all Dad had gone through, the rehab and wheelchairs, spinal cord injuries were intimately... Terrifyingly real to me. I was strong, but not like Dad. I was strong for myself. He was strong for others, and I knew I couldn't handle an injury like his. I couldn't put on a happy face for those around me while I sat in a chair for the rest of my life. She looked my way. It's amazing. That blow you took to the head last night. It could have paralyzed you. Ross said nothing. A look of what I presumed was his version of sympathy washed over his face. How bad is it? I forced out, still hoping this was a show, just an elaborate ploy. It's bad. Your condition probably masks many of the symptoms, but you should feel some numbness in your hands. There may be swelling of the upper back and neck, and if we're not real careful moving forward, paralysis is a real threat. Her eyes held authentic sadness. Ross looked uncomfortable. So a person in this condition, what would a fall from a fire escape or severe trauma in combat result in? Ross asked. I'd say a 90% likelihood of at least temporary, partial paralysis, and a slightly lesser risk of permanent. Trust me, I've reviewed this with my supervising physician. We both agree on the risk inherent here. There is definitive spinal column instability. He finally stepped out of the glare of the x-ray backlight and moved towards the door. Mr. Daniels, even if you were what I think you were, what I know you were, if this is true, if not for me, or for the good of the people of this city, then for your family and friends, and yourself. Let this be the end of whatever it is you're doing. Live your life, a quiet life. I'll be calling on you within the next week to follow up. Thank you both for your help. My condolences, Mr. Daniels, for your condition. With that, he was gone, an Oscar-worthy performance from Kinsley. It's over, she said. No, he's convinced. He'll keep pushing. Not him, not the investigation. Dolio, it has to be over. Wait, wait. I stumbled for words. How much of that was the truth? Tell me that was just to get him off my case. Ryder, that's an actual x-ray of your spine. I'm so sorry. The skin on my head, for that moment, truly felt different. An anxious pricking feeling washed over it, slowly evolving into a blanketed discomfort throughout my entire body. Everything you said was true? Almost. The only thing I embellished on was the date of the injury. Ryder, these aren't pre-existing fractures, these are relatively new. I figured if I told Ross they were older, which is somewhat plausible, he'd be forced to reconsider his theory that you're Dolio. But the truth is, if you take a blow to the neck, back or head like the one that caused these injuries, before surgery and giving your body time to appropriately heal, her hand softly caressed mine, you'll be paralyzed or dead. Episode 25, In the Dark. It was the worst news I had received since doctors had confirmed Dad's own paralysis. While there was still time to prevent my own, it wouldn't matter if I could walk, if Rodney could too. Rodney had to be stopped, regardless of what that meant for my well-being. Dad and Kinsley were all that mattered. I had failed protecting James, and Cindy, and even Dad and Kinsley, but I wouldn't fail again. My life meant nothing without them. Dolio had one last mission, one last lonely walk down a dark alley, one final visit with the Struggles and I knew what had to be done." Ross, however, was another lingering matter altogether. As it stood now, he was likely questioning whether I had the capacity to be Dolio, questioning everything he knew about the case. But if he's questioning himself, he wouldn't for long, because he doesn't seem like the kind of guy to waver in his convictions without good reason. So Dolio would march, one last time, for one final reason. If days, weeks, past with no Dolio, no masked vigilante tearing up the night, targeting blood struggles and other dark forces, Ross would start to wonder, where did Dolio go? And the answer to that question would lead right back to me. This solidified my only option. Before Ross could settle back on me, Dolio had to make a last stand. I had to make my last stand. Because even worse than Ross coming back for me, is the blood struggles coming back for me or dad or Kinsley. I had to kill Rodney, and do it without taking any damage, because as Kinsley said, the next blow I take may be the last I take upright on my own two legs. "'What now?' Dad asked. I turned to find him much closer than I anticipated. His condition allowed him to be quite stealthy at times. There were no pounding footsteps to announce his entrance, no shuffle of feet, just a silent, steady approach. "'What do you mean, what now?' I replied. You know, what now? I do. So? My hands are tied. You had a choice in the beginning, and you made the wrong one. You have a choice now, too, and you're making the wrong one again. I no longer have a choice, Dad. You do, and you did, and you took the easy way out. The easy way out? My hand shook now. This bulky neck brace felt like a noose. And I realized at that very moment why I had never been a true trial attorney. Maybe it wasn't that I truly preferred to help victims or that I wanted to make a difference. Maybe those were excuses to appease self-doubt. Maybe I didn't have the stones for the big decisions. Maybe dad was right. Yeah, the easy way out. Sometimes in this world, you have to face the consequences. You have to face the music and take the hard path forward. So you got caught up in the moment and a guy fell off a roof. It was an accident, but it happened. You tried and that's admirable. That's the son I'm proud of. I'm a public official. I put people in prison, I don't chase them off buildings. I tried to turn a negative into a positive in the best way I knew how. But you did it. It happened. And it would have been tough for a while. You would have had reporters nosing around your business. But it would have blown over. But you couldn't face the music, so you lied. And then you lied to cover up a lie. And now where are you? You jumped over a pile of shit only to fall into a pit of it. It's irrelevant. I could have done a lot of things differently, but I can't go back. I can't fix what's broken any more than you can. What's that supposed to mean?" He fired the words back at me like molten lava. What if you never adopted me? He sat silent for a moment, said nothing. Where would you be now? He exhaled slowly, looked as if he was searching the void in his brain for the perfect words to answer a dangerous question. I don't know, he said, anticlimactically. I do. You wouldn't be sitting there, you'd be standing. My vision blurred, and I felt something pull down my face. I wiped the wetness away with embarrassment. Maybe so, he said. We can't change the past, but if I could change one thing, I wouldn't go back and tell Ross the truth. I'd go back and let Brett beat the shit out of me that day on the playground. I'd let him beat me until his hands bled, because it didn't matter. He could never damage me as much as knowing that I'm the reason you live in a chair has. It was the first time I had fully admitted my guilt aloud. Dad and I lived in a very close-knit, closed-off life. And although we only had each other, we had never truly spoken of, or investigated, that day fully. You were just a kid. But I wasn't even your kid. Now listen. He moved closer. The vision of him rolling towards me only further aggravated my stewing guilt. You're my son. I would rather sit crippled, this one lifetime at your side, then run an eternity through the life I had before I met you." He reached for the counter and dragged himself upright on twisted legs. His eyes leveled with mine. He braced his left forearm on the countertop and reached his right hand carefully to my shoulder. I felt it squeeze. "'Tonight, Dolio, one last time,' I said. I wish you wouldn't. I wish you'd just let him go, fade away, bury him and everything he's done and work with the police for protection. Stand with me, as Ryder, not Dolio, and face the consequences, whatever they may bring. It's not just about us anymore. I reviewed Rodney's record. I came across his felony charge. It was an assault outside Mass Medical during an alleged heroin deal, just as Kinsley said. Dad nodded knowingly. The file is sealed, but I accessed it. It was Kinsley, Dad. You heard her story. He'll come for her. Then you, then me, and I can't let that happen. She's not safe until I- Until you what? He cut me off, challenging his voice. Kill them. Who's them? I don't know yet, but all of them. There's no such thing as killing all the bad guys, Ryder, or even all the blood struggles. You're just one man, and a seriously injured, compromised one at that. Blood will just beget more blood, probably yours this time. I didn't say this was an easy way out. But like you said, it's time I stand up and face the music. It was a feeling I couldn't explain, a lingering sense of presence. In a city packed with hundreds of thousands of people, I understood isolation was unrealistic. But the night felt unique, almost lonely, as if it were just me and one mysterious attendee that I couldn't pin down. I recall as a child, every Tuesday, when night would fall, Dad would swipe the remains of dinner into the garbage. He'd then ask me to take the trash to the street. I always agreed, embarking wearily on the 50-foot journey to the end of the driveway. The mounted light beside the front door cascaded a yellow glow on the steps. Moth and gangly mosquitoes the size of a baby's fist buzzed around the bulb, hoarding its warmth. I'd open the screen door long enough to slither out the crack. As it closed, desperate bugs would crash violently into the screen seeking warmth, only to be turned back unceremoniously from the cozy confines of our home. The initial three steps off the porch were always the easiest, as the fading light guided my descent. The first step free of the weak glow from the porch light, however, brought with it the same feeling I had tonight. I would defiantly stride to the garbage bin, trash in hand, standing tall against my fears. Then. A rustle of leaves, where the sounds of scurrying feet in the woods would stop me in my tracks. My eyes would endeavor to penetrate the darkness of the woods' edge, and a sense of presence would overcome me. I was not alone. I'd lift the trash cover, deposit the bag, and turn back in a walk. The leaves would speak again, and I'd try to ignore them, try to suppress an imagination that was so vivid, so real, that I was certain someone, a wolf, or bear, or killer, was watching me. Occasionally, I would make it back to the front door in a brisk walk. Sometimes, fear compelled a desperate, mindless sprint. I'd reach the steps, heaving breaths, turn back, look for that presence, see nothing, and slither back in the front door, slam it shut, and twist the bolt lock. Dad would smirk waiting, and I'd try to conceal the hungry lungs, deep breaths, and the beginnings of a damp sweat. He'd smile and grunt slightly, (laughs) a knowing grin that confirmed he knew my fears. It was this feeling, this lingering sense of companionship that I felt tonight, that someone or something was lurking, with its beady, yellow murderous eyes trained on Dolio. It wouldn't show itself, and I could run, but no matter how fast or how far I ran, I couldn't shake it. I walked the Ducati behind a dumpster just a handful of blocks from the warehouse Latrell had identified at the hospital days earlier. The motor gurgled to a stomp, and I stepped off the bike carefully, thinking this is what cowboys must have felt like after dismounting a horse following a day's ride. My legs hummed with movement from the bike's quivering motor. They gradually readjusted to my weight. And once they had, I rolled the bike forward four feet between the dumpster and the wall, almost completely out of view, and let it tilt onto its stand. The dolio suit gripped tight, carrying with it a subtle dread now. Where I had once worn it with anticipation and misguided purpose, I now half-feared and half-tolerated it. The goggles pulled uncomfortably at my face, and an itching sensation gnawed at my face under the new military-issue lower face mask. Following the run-in with the Forty, I had made some modifications to the suit. I had cut the arms at the shoulders. I couldn't feel the cold anyhow, and I had eliminated the full head and neck covering, opting for just the goggles and a tactical, lower-face steel mesh mask. The changes combined to still conceal my identity, but the added skin exposure ensured that my hyperesthesia could play its part. Because I couldn't afford to be hit tonight, I couldn't afford to brawl anymore. I scratched anxiously at my chin and focused my thoughts to the present, dragged my consciousness back from the details and quirks of my suit and personality and situation to the mission. Tonight was no longer a mission of choice. There was no way out. This hit like a duty or obligation. Dolio, no I, had to act with an increasingly uncomfortable level of brutal finality. For Dad. For Kinsley. Tonight, I wasn't one of the good guys, and it had to be that way. I ducked into the darkness as a series of footsteps passed, hid silent for a moment, wondered where the shot that could paralyze me for the rest of my life might come from. I imagined the look on Rodney's face, staring down at me, as I lay on the pavement, trapped in a state of perpetual stillness. Saw him reach out and pull Kinsley towards himself, smell her hair, and felt the sensation of nothingness consume me as I lay unable to do a damn thing about it. Damn it, come on, I reprimanded myself. I shook my head and repeated, there's no choice, this must be done, just get it done. I didn't wish to kill again, I had never truly wished to do so in the first place, but for tonight, that choice had been stripped from me. I had killed by accident, for my freedom, for my own safety and that of those I care about, and now, I must kill for closure. I couldn't address relentless lethal intent with half measures. It would solve nothing, and I needed tonight to solve everything. The warehouse came into focus. It was here Latrell had stated that the brass made their more volatile business decisions. It was here that the top dogs decided how to remedy inconveniences like Dolio. The front of the structure boasted two entrances, one a large cargo or garage door, and the other a pedestrian entrance, both steel, with small windows painted black. Under the cover of night, I sidestepped into the alley along the western wall of the structure. The brick facade towered into the night, littered with small square-paned windows, grouped into large rectangles about four feet high by six feet wide, each square painted with a rough, dark, grayish paint, preventing light from entering or exiting the building. As I made my way down the long wall, past window after window, small white flakes began meandering from the sky. The first substantial snow of the season was here, and I couldn't help but wish I were somewhere else, doing something else, just as I was certain Dad wished he was here, to protect a son he loved, a son that didn't deserve such adoration. "'Are you on site?' he chimed in, right on cue via my earpiece. Yeah, it's exactly as advertised. Still casing it. Stay in contact. Keep your head down, old man. Dolio or not, it'll be a cold day in hell before I'm taking orders from you, son. I believe it. I'm out for a spell, I said through a chuckle. As the snow picked up in intensity, the flakes stopped disappearing into the unseasonably warm pavement and began to heap atop one another. I walked along the wall until a bright, dime-sized, segment of window radiated a yellow beam into my path the paint had flaked or been scraped off the window and light peeked through creating a radiant thin band across the alley with the dart of the whip chain i scraped clear a few extra centimeters pulled my goggles in place and pressed an eye to the glass luttrell had been right six men four black one white and one hispanic stood in a small disorganized circle i recognized two almost immediately One was Rodney, and the other was the second surviving man that had accompanied him to my condo. Rodney was the most animated of the group, most likely because he was talking about me, and he had the most compelling justification to mount an offensive at my expense. I had now killed several of Rodney's men, probably his best men. After five additional minutes watching, the group disbanded. It was this moment that I had been waiting for. As four of the men, including Rodney, A thin meth-head-looking white man and a sturdy Latino made strides towards the front of the structure. I turned left to head them off. As much as I hated guns, this was the very moment I was happiest to have one. I reached for the holster. As I did, my simple assassination plan took on far greater complication. Don't, Ryder, a man said from behind me. I froze, hand on my Glock. Ryder, please, don't. Up against the wall. The voice was familiar and i complied without query pressing firmly up against the wall as requested does the name lee dolio ring a bell detective ross they're coming i said as forcefully as i could in a whisper it's over Ryder. i tracked down your adoption records from back before your dad took you in it wasn't easy to find but your original parents last name was dolio as soon as i saw the papers everything made sense The puzzle pieces mended, the doubts washed away. You're not safe here, Ross. Put your hands behind your back, he said, ignoring my pleas. They're coming out, they'll kill us both. As much as I sympathize, even relate, there's only one murderer out here, and it's you, son. I felt the muzzle of his gun press against the nape of my neck. Please don't do this, I begged. Rodney had to be just steps from exiting the structure. It would take a miracle for him and his men not to see Ross's flashlight. The beam brightened the wall beside my head, signaling me out for target practice. Enough of the lies, Ryder. Aren't you tired of it? Tired of running, and evading, and concocting stories? He grabbed my left wrist, fastened the cuff, jerked at my arm and shoulder, and I tried to tug free. I stared in horror. Remembered vividly the last time I had changed a life so drastically so irreparably the day dad was paralyzed The moment played back in my head again Brett took aim. I saw dad exposed stumbling back and the nurse hurtling towards Brett Watched as he raised the weapon my memory finally played back the previous suppressed moment of anguish a split second so painful that my young mind had carved it free from the years of attempted recollection Saw as Brett squared the nurse in his sight, just as I tumbled into him. felt impact. Then the gun lurched back from the force of the recoil, and recalled the horror at what I had just done. My choice, my action, had shifted his aim towards Dad. Saw him in my mind's eye, clutch at his midsection. After all these years, realized, truly accepted, that had I been one second later, the nurse, not my dad, would be paralyzed that I had been one second earlier, I could have saved them both. Finally, I understood where this relentless, suppressive guilt had originated. Understood that I had not only set off the ticking time bomb that was Brett, but that I had in fact aimed that bomb directly at the one man I not only loved, but that loved me most. I'm sorry, I mouthed the words towards Ross, At what remained of his head stared back at me. In a split second, a singular flash. Under an avalanche of chunks from Ross's head, I came to realize, I had done it again. The pinkish flesh and blood and bone erupted like a volcano, sprouting outwards, and then onto me, blinding me. The echo of the gunshot rolled through the night. Thanks, pig. A voice, maybe Rodney's, rang out, and in the confusion, my focus elapsed and I froze. A large hand collided with the side of my head. My body went numb. Tingling fires erupted across my arms and legs, and I lost all communication with my appendages. My brain tried to connect, tried to control a failing body as it fell, but nothing happened. And I crashed into the snow on the flat of my back, my limbs barely whispering their existence through a gentle picking sensation. I tried to speak, but my lips barely moved. Ross lay beside me headless, oozing redness into a pool of pink, slushy snow. He doomed us both. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed Dolio, please come back for future episodes arriving at regular intervals, and subscribe and rate us on your favorite podcast application.